Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast from a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. You don't sound embarrassed, Adam. <laughs> I've been trying to be more physically expressive on the pod lately, like even if it's just me, like on this side and you on that side, I feel like it adds to how dynamic the show can become. If we're yeah. if if for example I'm using my hands, and right. that's what I'm doing. Usually, usually you just use your hands when I'm talking to make the jack off motion. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I, I, you know what? For a second, I had to look up at my computer's camera to make sure it wasn't on. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have like a band aid over the camera. Or oh, I do. Like I've, I've got the little post it note on top. <laughs> that's what I do. What do you do? You've got the Band-Aid? I'm just living dangerously, man. Wow. I had a friend. He had an office in Manhattan. It was a film production. Uh, they had like a couple of sound stages and a little production company. And I would, uh, I did work with them a bunch. This and... was Brazzers? <laughs> Come on. They're not in Manhattan. Oh, I pronounced that wrong. It's Bratzers, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's more more correct, technically. Right. Um no, but uh, they were, uh, you know, on on the second floor of a building in Manhattan, and there wasn't really anything to stop people from just coming up the elevator of this building. And so one day, somebody just came into the office, spotted his laptop on his desk, and he was, like, out at lunch or something, grabbed it, and walked out, and, like, nobody looked up from what they were doing and saw the person taking the laptop. Wow. And so... He had all the all the stuff turned on so he could like he could like geolocate it, you know, and and like using using mm-hmm. the find my Mac or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we turned on the fucking webcam and watched this guy crank it to like very fucked up porno. Oh. Like like that's what was happening when he like we were it was like, you know, four PM and he had like used some other computer in the office to like to figure out where his computer was and he he turns on the webcam and we're watching we could see what was on the screen and it was like little people porn and we could see this guy <laughs> and what he was doing to himself over the little people porn it was like i, I felt like i was living in a fucking william gibson novel <laughs> <laughs> oh i i only get it Via context, Ben. But wow, that's <laughs> wow. You would think that that would have taught me the lesson of put a post-it over your webcam, but I did not learn anything that day. I mean, given given your knowledge of its geolocation, were you able to recover the laptop later? It was, and and also, f- would you want to recover it after <laughs> that? I don't think so. It was one of those super frustrating things where you like. Like he called the police and they sent a couple of officers out to like take a report and then he showed them on the screen like, oh yeah, it's up in, we could get it to like within one building where it was and they're like, that's not good enough. You know, you would have to know which door to knock on or whatever. And, uh, and he never got it back. He got, he got the officer from, (laughs) from Lebowski, from big Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah. These guys were not working in shifts, were they? No, no, they were not exactly doing that. Um, they did recover his uh, his credence tapes, though. Wow. Do you think that this person's interest was to find a device with which to use for porn? Like, was that the goal of the thievery? Like, is that was that the 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 headwater of the crime was like <laughs> was like I don't want to steal a computer to sell for drug money. I need something to crank it with. I think he was probably going to sell it, but in this, you know, in this interregnum between having stolen it and having sold it, he used it for what it's there for. You know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> because at that point, what's the difference? 
You know, a long, long time ago, you and I told the story of my wife's laptop being recovered along with a bunch of other stolen items out of a workplace rental car and uh, how much fun that story was. How much darker would that story have been had there been a a (laughs) FaceTime masturbation component to the whole thing? (laughs) Not good. Sort of changes things. Well, Adam, do you want to? Uh, speaking of uh, speaking of teleconnectivity, I thought uh, I thought we might please the people with a uh, with a jazz horse update. What do you say? Oh yeah, I have I have things to discuss. Tell me you love jazz, horse, earth horse. Okay, boys, saddle up. You're as handy with a shooting iron as you are with a woman's heart. I'm beginning to see the appeal of this program. I suggest you find a new line of work. It's okay, girl. Just a scratch. So, so you and I are planning with a couple of buddies of yours to play Jazz Horse over the internet today. Right. After, after we're done recording the podcast, we're going to play Jazz Horse over the internet. Yep. We... Have have not really done this before, so we had to do a lot of prep. Part of the prep on my end was asking my wife permission to play video games with my friends. Wow, <laughs> because, I, uh, I thought I was the only one, Ben. <laughs> that was a real fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, it was like, so on Thursday, Adam and I and a couple of guys are talking about playing the cowboy game on the internet. Is that okay with you? <laughs> was a thing I had to look my wife in the eyes and ask. Why do we do that? It's, it's, it sucks. It sucks. Yeah. Like, it, but also, like, she fortunately had plans tonight, and so it's not really gonna, it's, it doesn't really affect her either way. Mm-hmm. If I had known that before I asked the question, I would have just not asked the question. Right. Yeah, that's smart. But yeah. yeah. I had uh, I had the same experience as you. This game is not friendly to a bystander the way that a Skyrim seems to have been. My wife preferred Skyrim to this game. Oh, interesting. By a lot. I mean there's a they have a lot in common. It's a lot of uh going around in the wilderness and gathering an herb. Yeah. Yeah, for some reason it is not the same. I don't know why. I keep trying to make the case that it is. Uh, part of the she's like, I like it, but I don't like that it has no glowing left hand component. Like most prearranged special evenings of fun, there is some preparation involved for this group, and part of that is the game of Jazz Horse makes you jump through some hoops before you're just released into the world, the open world of the internet prairie. <laughs> and it's about an hour of, of playing with yourself beforehand, and I'm really glad we were able to do that uh, before our date. Yeah, that, that was another, like, we are old moment where <laughs> we were, like, texting, like, is there... Is there anything we have to do? And somebody actually, like, went to the trouble of finding out, and they're like, oh, yeah, you, you actually do have to like qualify into playing online with people. I really I, love the construction of your character in games like this. Uh, how would you describe the custom character that you made? You know, I'm always tempted to go for photorealistic to myself, mm-hmm. but then I, in that process, realize I don't really know what I look like. Oh. You know, it, g- yeah. it gives you like several options for nose, like narrow nose, like medium and wide nose, like hook nose, and I'm like, I don't really know what kind of nose I have. Yeah. I don't really think about it ever. Yeah. I wish there were more options. It feels like there's about a dozen different versions of every part of the face. (laughs) So if you're going for something specific, it makes that part difficult. I think uh, one of the things about the last Grand Theft Auto game is that I felt like it was more granular in that way. You could really really make a custom face and body in a way oh, that man. maybe because it's the beta version of Jazz Horse Online that we aren't getting the full palette of options here. Yeah, well, as a as a beta myself, uh, I can confirm that 
You just never have the full palette of options. My guy uh, looks most closely like an uh, an inbred MacGruber. <laughs> I tried my best to approximate what he would look like in this world, and uh, gonna gonna name the horse Miata. My 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 name in the game is MacGruber with an exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> I. Uh... I have bad news for you, Adam. I already named my horse Miata. What? <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. You really did? I did. How is that possible? I thought I told everyone what I was going to do. You told everybody that that's what you did on a different game, I thought. Oh, and then you stole my idea. I didn't steal your idea for the horse. Are you... What is your? What does your person look like, then? can't believe your horse is Miata. What the, I'm going to have to name my horse Blaupunk now. <laughs> I mean, you could name your horse whatever you want. I don't think there's any rule about not having, about, uh, you know, multiple different horses Wow. having the same name. Did not expect this double cross, Ben. It's not a double cross because I didn't name my guy MacGruber or make him look like MacGruber. Mm. I made him look like Tug Phelps. Well, I expect after tonight we will come back with more stories. I'm, expe- yeah. I'm expecting to get griefed on pretty hard. <laughs> like, our our posse of idiots is going to be released into this open world, and we're just going to be, like, walking ourselves off of cliffs. <laughs> it's not going to be great. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm going to shoot Miata in the back of the head. Fuck. <laughs> Don't kill Miata. <laughs> That's just parallel thinking, man. Yeah, guess so. Should have kept that shit to myself. <laughs> I mean, it it'd be like showing up to the same party in the same dress though, right? If we yeah. if we both ride into the game on a horse named Miata. You know what? In that way maybe I too will name my horse Miata. <laughs> Except mine will have an exclamation point at the end. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> you don't want to make an enemy of me, Ben. Much like you never want to make an enemy out of a founder, which is sort of what today's Deep Space Nine episode is about. It's the season finale of season three. Season three, episode 26, The Adversary. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. There's a bit of a switcheroo at the beginning of this episode. Because it's making the emotional case that Cisco may be leaving yeah. Deep Space Nine via an admission to his commander's log. It is with mixed emotions that I record this, my final commander's log. Final commander's log, but uh, jokes, it's actually his final commander's log because he's getting the big promotion. And uh, Admiral Jake Cisco is there to put the pip on his on his chest. <laughs> Cisco isn't... Uh, isn't leaving a note in advance of taking his own life after reading his son's uh, story on that sailboat. <laughs> I can no longer live with the shame of having a terrible author as a son. <laughs> Jake really jumped ahead of him in rank, right? Yeah. That is maybe like one of the biggest issues story-wise with this episode is that there isn't anybody of a higher rank there to... to give him this honor and so yeah he he you know in the midst of this party a uh, a federation ambassador kind of takes him by the elbow and walks him off to one corner of the room and i guess everybody else at the party is just assuming that he's being told all the secrets you get to know when you become captain right but uh what he's really doing is giving him a mission the defiant will leave in two days on a week-long patrol he's a stranger to this party and so are like eight other people like the attendees of this thing are the cast that you've come to know and love over three seasons, and also like a gathering of complete strangers, I guess, to fill things up. Yeah, just a like a handful of Bajoran and Starfleet central casting people. Yeah, yeah. This is Ambassador Krajensky, and uh, what he tells Ben Cisco is that there's been a coup on the Zenkethi homeworld, and his mission, should he choose to accept it is a week-long patrol with Ambassador Krasinski riding shotgun along as an observer. Yeah, and it's just to kind of provide a show of force 
because I guess the Zenkethi are a uh, we're we're retroactively making them a a, a former foe of the Federation and a, a a people that we need to be worried might invade the Federation if the wrong kind of political moment is taking hold there. They're given uh, alien foe of the week status, uh, but spoiler alert: we never see them. Yeah, have we ever heard of them before? No. Didn't ring a bell for me. I looked it up. I had to look it up to see if I was missing something. No, they're they're new. <laughs> okay. Even though they have a, a colorful history versus the Federation, uh, this is their first time being on a show. One thing that surprised me in this sequence was uh, Chief O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Calling the newly minted Captain Cisco the newest and best captain in the fleet. No! Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that's true for O'Brien given that Cisco never genocided <laughs> a bunch of uh, a federation ships at Wolf 359. Right. Yeah, he doesn't have that on his uh, on his permanent record, I guess. Yeah. Um yeah, I just I found it surprising that uh, that the chief is such a Cisco partisan, given his long history with the other captain we know and love. And yeah. I mean, Picard is not not in Starfleet in this timeline, right? No, it's true. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's still in the game. He's still on the board. Yeah. Gotta wonder what Picard did to O'Brien in the time between O'Brien's leaving the Entrepreneur and right now. Not answering any of his letters, that's why. Yeah, guess so. <laughs> ben, we get a number of new playsets in the last episode of season three of this show. Uh, we get the Defiant Engine Room, yeah. which is brand new. Uh, we get a Defiant Turbo Lift. We get a Mess Hall playset, and uh, we get a Corridor in DS9 that's a more fully developed place to walk than we've ever gotten before. Yeah, they really, uh, it, it, it's usually like the last episode of the season when uh, the budget has really run thin, but they uh, they really spend on this one. Yeah, it feels like um, a show that had that had more budget at the end than they thought, and so they, and so not to get a drawdown next season, like they want to get the same or more budget for season four, gotta spend yeah, it. You gotta spend it. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. This engine room is the uh, is the first one of these we see, I believe, and it's uh, Cisco kind of like attaboying Chief O'Brien and telling him to get ready for this big trip and walking out of the room, and then Chief O'Brien having a very creepy first contact, like alone in the engine room moment where yeah he's hearing bumps and bangs down the hallway, but never figures out what's going on, and uh, some fun you know like handheld camera work to enhance the uh the sense of weirdness and aloneness yeah that composition before going to theme song is that visual language of making him feel small right he's in this big engine room uh he's way in the background of the shot he's surrounded by larger objects in the foreground and he's alone small and he's being watched yeah uh, the sound he hears sounds like kind of an out of balance clothes dryer or like the sound HVAC ducting makes. Yeah, I was I was kind of picturing somebody trying to like hulk a washing machine up a flight of stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounded very familiar <laughs> for something that was supposed to sound so alien, you know. Yeah, well, and it also sounded like thinner sheet metal than I imagine is being used in most components of the Defiant. Yeah, you know, everything you see is like real thick and like sturdy looking. Yeah. on the Defiant. That sound just doesn't sound like something that they would have there. Golden Cotton. The cut. Golden Cotton. So. So the ship gets underway and begs a question that I just can't wrap my mind around, Ben, which is why are they doing so much work on the ship while it's underway instead of while it's docked on DS9? Because there's a fair amount of crawling through the Jeffries tubes that O'Brien is doing and even Bashir is doing when they meet up in these tubes later on. Like, yeah, uh, are they too busy for maintenance on the ship while they're at the station? 
Well, I mean, O'Brien, if he's chief of maintenance on the station and the ship, has a lot on his plate. Yeah, that's true. So I suppose that's forgivable. But also, you know, I don't really know how much tube crawling is normal on this ship anyways, you know? Yeah. Like, it's a small ship with uh, very few amenities, so maybe a bunch of critical systems that you would be able to access via a hallway yeah. on a uh, galaxy-class ship... You have to get to via the Jeffries tubes on a ship like this. This episode was badly written! This episode specifically, and this season, has been so good at setting Eddington... I'm Lieutenant Commander Michael Eddington, Starfleet Security. ...up to be uh, a hated figure, to be someone for whom we have a lot of suspicion... Yeah. And uh, and Eddington gets some scenes right away. Like, every time he's talking to Cisco, I don't feel like you can trust him. Every time he says something, it feels like O'Brien says something right after, <laughs> which I really, really liked, especially like in that celebration scene for Captain Cisco. Like, Eddington says congratulations, and it's all, almost like O'Brien climbs over him to give his <laughs> larger congratulations. Yeah. It's great. What do you think is, like... Does Cisco not have a choice about whether to take Eddington on a trip now? He obviously does, and he obviously is living up to the statement he made about trusting anyone who wears the uniform. I think it's yeah. insane. <laughs> well, you're a very distrustful yeah. person in general. <laughs> right. My paranoia would never allow this. So O'Brien's in the in one of these tubes, and doing some some of this maintenance we've been talking about when he starts hearing bumps and bangs again and uh he calls out and doesn't hear a response so he goes down to investigate and out pops Julian Bashir who ha- claims that he was uh putting his uh Starfleet extension courses on engineering through their paces uh by installing his own medical shit into the into the ship's power grid Word processing. The internet. (laughs) Installing medical devices on starships. (laughs) Starfleet Career College. (laughs) Uh, But it's a fun jump scare. I feel like they do a really nice job with the lighting in here, too. Like, it's not super flat and brightly lit the way it would be on the Enterprise. It's very very dim and, and spooky. Sometimes the lengths of these Jeffrey's tubes are shot in such a way where you can see the, I don't know, is it a psych if it's, like, it's something different, like when they put up a, a graphic panel to it, yeah to show. Well, actually, I actually know a little bit about this. The, yeah, uh, tell me. The Acme Corporation was contracted <laughs> to build a lot of these tunnels, so, uh, okay. so Wiley Coyote painted... The, the furtherance of the tunnel on a, on a flat wall. Thank you very much for that, yeah. That <laughs> really mixed results from this effect in the Star Trek series up until now, uh, but the length of these Jeffries tubes and the angle at which they're shot in this episode, I think, are really effective. Yeah, they don't miss in this map. Sometimes you get the wrong angle and it just looks totally cocked up. Yeah. And and we've had that a bunch, especially on Deep Space Nine, which has these big, long, kind of slightly arcing hallways yeah. because of the construction of the docking ring and the habitat ring or whatever. Yeah. And they have missed on this show before, but uh, but not this. Yeah. So speaking of Eddington, we get a scene with him and Cisco, and you think this conversation is going to be related to what we were talking about before. Like, I thought the conversation was going to be about forgiveness. And yeah. instead, it's like one of almost mentorship between Cisco and Eddington, wherein they talk about uh, the meaning of making captain and how someone in Eddington's position had those aspirations. But when you put on that gold uniform, uh, that is a career track that is closed to you. People don't enter Starfleet to become commanders. It's an interesting moment because it doesn't really have much to do with this story or what's going on in this episode, but it does kind of give another point of, uh, you know, point in the column of like Eddington is not entirely to be trusted. He has a bit of an axe to grind, you know? 
you could read it that way. You could also read it like if if this scene doesn't happen, I think you might view Eddington with a greater suspicion than without it. Like clearly right. Cisco still trusts him. The subject yeah. of his double cross isn't even obliquely referred to. Yeah. It's a conversation that I'm very familiar with. I mean, I, I feel like in in college, you know, everybody in film school is there because they want to be a director. And yeah. the professors spend a lot of time trying to convince you that it is like worth your time to consider developing a craft of some kind or, and like getting into one of the departments because like a you will actually get work if you come out of film school and like know how to be a sound recordist mm-hmm. and b like there's no one path to being in the director's chair on a big movie you know like people come at it from every which angle and it's very foolish to think that like not learning something because it's a waste of, of your time would be like a an aid to you getting there eventually. Right, right. So so I thought it was interesting from a character standpoint that Eddington doesn't see the benefit of being specialized, you know? Right, good point. Uh, a colony has been attacked, Ben, and, uh, and the assumption at this point while they're on patrol is that they are at war with the Zenkethi. It's on. It's a hot war yeah. now. They get like one of those classic uh, audio distress calls, which I feel like you're always receiving these calls. You never actually see anyone send one out. Yeah. Like the Enterprise has never been under attack and Picard goes like, get me on on screen and just goes like, this is the Enterprise. We're under attack. Any ship in the area, if you could come to our... Like that yeah. never happens, right? Right, right. But it's always, it's always the call to action. It's true. And so, yeah, they, uh, they have to assume that the Zenkethi political situation has turned into one of uh, wars of adventure and that the Defiant is going to be the only ship that is going to be able to uh, rush to their aid. If they are to rush to their aid, Ben, uh, the little D is not going to be performing flawlessly. And it feels like whenever anyone has a, a technical problem on the little D, all heads kind of swing towards Eddington and potential sabotage. <laughs> I know my, I know that's where my eyes fell in this scene. Like, Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like when, when Odo starts trying to like send out the call to you know, another starship captain, Eddington is like dead center in the frame, even though he's the <laughs> furthest back in the frame. Yeah. And, and yeah, like they, they start to realize they're having a lot of problems. So the chief and Dax head back into the tunnels and they discover a sort of like vertiform city level tangle of wires in, in, uh, behind one of the panels. Nice callback. And these wires are like snaking around and like punching their way into stuff. This is really well done, how this looks, I think. I agree. Kind of gross. Like, it looks, it doesn't just look like wires. The wires look like they're living in a yeah. gross way. Yeah, and the, uh, I don't know if it's a CG thing. It looks a little better than this era of CG, right? Yeah, it sure does. So I don't know, I don't know exactly how they did it. Maybe they, maybe they, they reversed the shot. Yeah. And they're like pulling the wires out and then making it play backwards so it looks like the wire is pushing towards something you can't just pull these things out because they are unfortunately protected by force fields yeah and they are in everything like they all of the systems are starting to be affected by this situation and getting the force fields down is a puzzle that is going to take a while to to solve but also they got to figure out how they got aboard and who got them aboard because O'Brien is like, hey, listen, like when we left the station, this stuff wasn't here. I checked. And I guess that's why he was in those tunnels, was that we had to establish that he would have been looking behind these panels. Good call. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale, in a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. You know, the paranoia in this episode is pronounced enough that O'Brien fingers Bashir for this. Cisco asks O'Brien, like, uh, do you have any suspects? And <laughs> O'Brien's like, well, uh, I weirdly ran into Bashir in those tunnels early on, and I thought it was weird that he was there. It was Julian. He is who I would ask about this. And so a plan is hatched to 
to suspect him without suspecting him directly. They kind of do it in in a group, right? Anyone who installed these devices would then be covered in Tetrion particles. And so a plan is hatched to scan crew people for these particles. And if one were to detect them on a person, much like uh, gunpowder on on a on a shooter, right? Like, there would be your guy. Yeah, it's a very Columbo solution to the mystery. It shows how sensitively they want to treat this this suspicion too, because you can't just ask Bashir if he's the saboteur. Like you need to do it in this way. It made a lot of sense to me. They scan everybody on the bridge, and uh, and as they they're like working their way toward Bashir when they when they're about to scan. Bashir, I loved that they showed Eddington reaching for his dustbuster. Like, yeah, I mean, he wasn't privy to the conversation that it might be Bashir. So, <laughs> I don't know why he wants to kill Bashir so badly. I mean, I could understand if this were season one. <laughs> this doesn't seem like a, a season three interest at this point. Yeah, if it was George Primen, Lieutenant George Primen, Starfleet Security. Instead of uh, Michael Eddington. Yeah. Krasinski is the one who tests positive. And as soon as that is revealed, he goes gold. And then then into the ductwork. Yeah. How do you think they shot that? They dumped a bunch of molasses down through one of the ducts and then played it in reverse? This is an effect that's getting better and better, I think. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and they they use changeling effects a lot in this episode and and to good effect. Like, it's... It's scary and exciting to contemplate being on a ship with one of these creatures slithering around through the through the vents and stuff. It could literally be anywhere, and uh, that's the the paranoia of that is really well ratcheted. I think this is the moment that the episode changes, and this might be the moment where the series changes because once you introduce a body snatchers or puppet masters or this this type of monster movie to a show like there's no unringing this bell the idea that a changeling could be anyone or anything it is so different than how odo was introduced in that yeah like he's always been friendly you're never paranoid around him but this changes everything right now because they can't control the ship anymore. It's cloaked and weapons hot. This changeling has control of it, and they have no idea how to find the changeling now that it's gone into the ductworks. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the changeling has been two steps ahead of them the entire time. So when they come up with the idea of, we'll figure out who did it, like, they aren't even considering that it, it's a changeling. You know, right? Like this really comes out of left field in a way that is surprising and amazing. They quickly surmise that this is part of, like, this is a pretty standard triangulation strategy by the founders. Right? They're wanting to start these proxy wars between the Federation and its allies with each other and with other races, so to weaken them. So they won't be as powerful as a threat to the founders themselves. Right. They, uh, the founders are going on social media and exploiting existing tensions between different races <laughs> in order to destabilize the political situation overall. You could see how this would be effective. <laughs> yeah. And especially effective against the party of racism. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted. What were we talking about? Don't worry. This cloak of paranoia is such that like if you don't see someone on screen you are made to feel as though they are in danger like much and, is made and, from here until the end of the episode of like the need to pair up or, yeah, to, or and, to go out in threes and stuff and 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 like it's almost as if if you don't see a character in a while something bad is going to happen and that's what happens to dax yeah she gets uh she gets bonked on the noggin she is uh she is uh, in a coma and will need to be will need to be kept under for a few days, so as not to uh, you know suffer brain damage uh, when she comes out of recovery. Because like they're just trying to get the ship under control at this point, and if the changeling has his way, it seems like what he's gonna do is pull up at this uh, 
Zenkethi planet decloak and start firing on everything from the Federation's warship. That will not be a good look for the Federation. So, so like the stakes are basically like if if we can't like get control of the ship back, we'll probably have to start thinking about doing a self-destruct, right? So that we don't start a war because this is a needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few type of scenario. There's a lot of fun vignettes here where like the plan is to go deck to deck, uh, Jeffrey's tube to Jeffrey's tube with phaser rifles tuned in such a way that they will harm the changeling or or i guess kill it like i don't know if they feel like death is a possible outcome with this the the main idea being finding this changeling before it can do any greater harm and then and then hopefully getting back control of their ship phasers have been set low enough to prevent damaging equipment but high enough to affect the changeling. And I don't think that we knew some of the mechanics of this. Like, there's a scene that's kind of teaching us about the rules of this problem. And mm-hmm. one of the things Odo says is, if you scan me when I'm a rock, I I will read as a rock. Which means that, like, even, even if the changeling is in the person of somebody they recognize, like, they don't really have a way of figuring that out. And the hardest object I've ever become is Jake Sisko's penis. <laughs> Things get considerably softer the older I go. Commander Sisko's like, thank you, Constable. <laughs> <laughs> we are taught through a conversation between Eddington and Odo. Right. Um, yeah, which is, uh, you know, kind of comes across as a little xenophobic on eddington's part when he says like what would you do like if 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 you were him where would you go and he's like well i'm not him and uh it's a little bit of eddington going like yeah but you're one of them you know yeah you're a they not a we i mean i never got i never really got the sense that eddington was doing anything besides getting a trying to get a tactical advantage like i don't think he was like othering odo like that i think he's desperate to gain some sort of advantage here but i thought what the scene did most is just show how little odo knows about himself or his people like he is utterly unhelpful in a situation like this he's also in a weird way unable to kind of use his own strengths to solve this problem like i kind of think that what he should be doing is coursing through the the vents as a as a goo yeah you know seeing if he can find this guy but instead, he's he is in humanoid form, running around with everybody, and and what they're doing is kind of like systematically going through the ship. They've they've put most of the crew under lock and key to just sort of like eliminate the possibility of them being changelings, and uh, and they're going through firing like low intensity phaser bursts down down hallways and into rooms to see if uh, it, like, provokes the changeling to reveal itself. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving and it ain't us. It sure seems like... You remember the Baryon sweep in that TNG episode? Uh, Yeah, Starship Mine, right? Yeah. Like, I wonder if something like that would be... could be deployed in this way. Yeah. Because it is wildly inefficient while you're underway to do something like this. (laughs) Yeah. So everybody's in these two person teams. They've got their their rifles. Uh I liked when when he said you'll use phaser rifles and he holds one up like as a visual aid. <laughs> this just in in case anybody here in Starfleet didn't know, this is what one looks like. This is a phaser rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. My rifle is my best friend. We get the Mexican standoff scene that a story about body snatching promises. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a predicament. It's this Bullion security guy, Cisco and Kira. Cisco's got guns on both of them. And yeah. they've both got guns on him. The Bullion thinks Kira is the changeling or potentially Cisco is. He's really not holding his his fear together that well. He's like, God, I should have... T- <laughs> I should have done what Uncle Mott said and become a barber. <laughs> Fuck this. What are you doing now? Ow! 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 
devolves into a forced mess hall blood draw because the thinking is like one thing Odo mentions is that uh, the deal with his his body is that once you separate a piece of it from the rest, it goes gold. So yeah. it goes gold automatically. And so a blood draw is a, a pretty effective way to figure out if someone's a changeling because as soon as you do that draw, if you get gold in the vial, it means you've got a changeling on your hands. And they all turn to Odo and they're like, thanks, Odo. That would have been great for you to bring up at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But they need a they need this repetition, right? The repetition of what happens on the bridge earlier on, where where they do the the tricordering of the tetrion particles. But this one seems like it's actually going to work. Yeah. And so Bashir is going around doing reverse hypo spray to everybody, and uh, we get to see Bolian blood is blue, which was fun. Mm-hmm. We get to see everybody give blood, and then he uh, he goes for Eddington. And Eddington's blood goes gold. Uh-oh. You better come with us. He's the bad guy after all, Adam. Or is he? Yeah, because he doesn't, like, uh, he doesn't turn into a spinning top of, of goo the way the ambassador did. And he doesn't really protest the way a guilty guy would. Right. Like, he's just trying to reason with them. He's like, guys, like, why would I be going with you to be locked up if I was if I was that guy. This was a great moment in the episode as they're walking Eddington to the to the brig because the doors swing open, you see a second Bashir, and then instantaneously you realize that a version of the story that Odo tells about a piece of himself being removed and turning gold is what we saw happen with the Bashir double. Like he right. took a bit of himself he made himself into both Bashir, the hypo spray, and the vial. And by taking himself out and putting himself in the vial and turning gold, like there's a math to this fake out <laughs> that is so great. Yeah. It's so effective. Right. And like Cisco's a little slow in the draw, right? Like he, sh- he shoots like a big scar in the wall as he's trying to hit the. Uh, the changeling as it like turns from Bashir to changeling and goes up into one of the vents. Yeah. But you could kind of, you could kind of forgive him because he's, he's being forced to do this crazy math on like what he just witnessed, you know? (sighs) The math he should be doing is the right room to do the blood draw in because say, say they do the blood draw back in the mess hall and it goes a little more by the book and they actually find a changeling. Up into the vents he goes again. Like, you need to be doing the blood draw in a brig, don't you? You really do. So because they made that terrible mistake, uh, they realize that they're not really... look. It's not really looking likely that they'll be able to stop the ship from provoking this attack. So so he he registers his self-destruct. Kira does the the first officer, I concur. Mm -hmm. And, And now the clock is ticking. They've got, like, 10 minutes till... Till self-destruct because the uh, the planet is like twelve minutes away. The episode does a great job in setting up that ticking clock here, but it doesn't do a great job in the episode up until this point because there there was another clock in place here too, right? Like the ship on its way to go begin a war that they're incapable of stopping. I wish a little bit more was made about their proximity to their destination so that you could sort of butt these clocks up against each other you know what i'm saying like you you think you've got it solved but the clock goes from ticking at a normal speed to ticking a lot faster ticking at double time yeah Yeah. i mean i felt i felt like it was established they didn't just didn't check in yeah often yeah another thing that becomes clear in this uh around this point is that dax was never in a coma it was just that the facsimile of dr bashir gave her a ton of drugs and made her go to sleep. So now, like, the only thing that can save them is if O'Brien can get the force fields down from the vertiform city pipes in the vents. And uh, and so he's working away in engineering on some kind of device that's going to, like, shut down all the fields on the ship. And a couple of Odos show up. And it's, uh, it's another Star Trek Six moment. It's Kirk versus Kirk. 
I love it. Isn't it about time you became something else? I wondered, watching this, there's so many like glowing surfaces in engineering. It was sometimes hard for me to tell if they were comping one Odo in or not. Cause like, like there's, there's at least one shot where there's like a camera move that like pans across the scene. And like, there's an Odo on the left-hand side of frame that, that we then lose and pick up another Odo on the right-hand side of frame. And I was wondering if that was like a motion control shot or a comp. Oh yeah. And it's hard to tell because the crap in the background is like glowing and, and flickering. So it kind of looks like a comp, even when it's definitely not a comp. All of this morph work at this moment in time is so much more difficult than it is today. The attention to detail you need to have about actor position and where your limbs are for this stuff. Like if you right. miss, if you miss by an inch, you need to retake it. And like, it's just amazing that you could do these effects right now on your home computer where, where at the time it is just so much more difficult yeah. What makes this scene different from Star Trek Six is that O'Brien doesn't really seem to care about the problem happening behind him. Like he's yeah. Like he's on such a timeline that he must solve this problem or else they lose the ship. Look, I've more important things to do than play choose the changeling. To the exclusion of the problem happening in the room, which is great. He's like, honestly, I don't give a shit. I'm gonna go back to work. You guys figure this out for yourselves. I love yeah. that. Have your little changeling fight, yeah. and uh, and have that fight. They do, they uh, like kind of. As I can't the... believe I kissed you. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been your lifelong ambition. <laughs> uh, as the fields drop on all the all the control panels that have been compromised, uh, Odo and this changeling have a fight, and uh, this changeling is is kind of like. He he's he's got like a very similar costume to Change Leader, mm-hmm. um, and they're having like a fight where they're like they're like gooing on each other, and it's uh, I guess they're they're trying to resist linking with each other or something. Yeah, there's like a golden hand job being given and then returned. <laughs> it's weird because like you get that Terminator Two effect, and so often in that movie, the goo is is weaponized as like a sharp object. Or something, but but like the weapon here is penetration, right? And and it's at a certain point, Odo gets like an entirely gooed up bad changeling over to the warp core, and he he like pushes him into it, and he gets warp lightninged, and then kind of like reforms as as the like dusty, flaky version of a changeling that we've seen Odo get to a couple of times when he was sick and peeling. Oh, that's just disgusting. Felt bad for this actor. He's in this he's in this episode for like three minutes and he had to go through two entire full body loafs. I thought he looked a lot like a pizza stone. I don't know if if you're like I am, but I keep a pizza stone at the bottom of my oven just at all times. Yeah, that's the right move. But boy oh boy, that pizza stone can look pretty rugged and ashen uh yeah. the longer it's in an oven, and that's what this guy's face looked like. Pretty flaky. Yeah, and flakier still is when he dies. He turns into a pile of ash. Bernie, and, uh, itchy, flaky face. <laughs> Solution? Neutrogena T-Gel. It works. Oh, no, it's the first changeling to ever kill a changeling. Hey! <laughs> Congratulations. Good job. But uh, the auto-destruct sequence gets turned off. They're not going to go start a war with the Zen Kathy. Good feelings for everybody but Odo. You really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it! And the coup never even happened. That part was a lie. They were getting bad intel from from their, they from just their took fake this, ambassador. This ambassador's word for, for truth, and that just seems insane. He's not part of the, he's not part of Starfleet. This poor yeah, ambassador- Check in with Starfleet. This poor ambassador was kidnapped on his way to Risa. They you should know, know if, by now, you never take a shuttle alone to a vacation. You can't do it. Yeah. Do, do we know for sure that Cisco has actually been given the rank of captain? Ooh. <laughs> what, what if, like three episodes from now, some uh, admiral's there and is like, Captain Cisco? No, no, no. That's not what my records show. Wow, that would be so fucked up. <laughs> We 
but we had a party. <laughs> Everyone was my, there. My son was there. <laughs> O'Brien said I was the best captain in the fleet. Well, you're not. I I told my girlfriend. <laughs> oh no. Oh man. We get a very conspiracy toned ending to this band because Odo reveals that the last words of this changeling to him were that you're too late. We are everywhere. And then we kind of pull back to the exterior of the station and we get our end credits and we go to summer break. I got legitimate chills. Well done. Wow. Did you like this episode, Ben? I liked it a lot. I thought uh it it did a good job with uh with how scary it is and it and it's a fun it it you know, the Star, Star Trek has failed a few times too do an episode that sets the table for something bigger and also make that episode interesting in its own right. Yeah. And I think this episode really succeeds at both things. I also like the ep, but I wonder if, if like letting this genie out doesn't change, like it remains to be seen whether or not this changes the show for the better or if it changes everything for the worse, because unless they're right. able to get their arms around this changeling problem, it's going to be the centerpiece of every episode from here on out, which right. could be cool. Yeah. You can't have monster of the week when there's an existential threat all the time forever. Yeah. And that's what they've established here. So, and it's not like the nubbins where you can easily figure out based on someone's worm diet and a thing sticking out of their neck, whether or not they are who they say they are. <laughs> this is impossible. Yeah, it's going to be like Gattaca. Every time you go to work, you have to give a little blood sample. Yeah. Yeah, uh, legit chills for me at the end. Tough first day for Cisco, huh, as captain? Yeah. Yeah. Trial by fire. <laughs> yeah, I think he did, a, he did a nice job, though. I think he did as good as he could. Do you want to see if uh, we have any Priority One messages for this app, Adam? Let's try our best to read them. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, a couple of Priority One messages here. The first one is of a commercial nature. Great. It goes like this. John Moltz, Dan Morin, and Guy English talk shit about Arrow and other superhero shows on the Speedy Arrow podcast. The dick jokes are more oblique. Bent dicks, if you will. <laughs> Nobody is shooting straight. Here's the pitch. Congratulations, Ben and Adam, on 10 million downloads. Made the world a little better by sharing your embarrassment. By 100 million downloads, Kevin was making real dolls of himself. Never go full Kevin. <laughs> I never give up that spark of embarrassment. Thanks for sharing. Ah, oh, Wow. That's, a, that's mighty kind. This came back in October of 2018 when we crossed the big 10 million download mark. Uh, and it looks like uh, the Speedy Arrow podcast is just sending us a congratulations. Very cool. Uh, here's the call to action. Lissagor, Simpson, and Merlin Mann have a new show called Friendly Fire. Go to iTunes for Friendly Fire. Friendly Fire on iTunes. Friendly Fire. I'm not familiar with that third name, Ben. <laughs> you might have to bring me up to speed on what that guy's deal is. Oh, yeah, I think uh, that might be one of those uh, filters that you've set up for yourself. <laughs> hey, that's great. Uh, happy yeah. to salute another podcast out there making it work. Yeah. Uh, thanks, guys. And uh, I, I, rec I think I recognize those names from uh, people we've interacted with a bunch on Twitter. Um, yeah. And, uh, and good peeps. So give the, uh, give the Speedy Arrow podcast a listen. Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from the Shimoda corner of the Friends of DeSoto table at your wedding. Oh. And uh, the message is for the bridge, in parentheses, blonde, and groom, parentheses, marbles. So I'm thinking that might have been uh, meant to be bride instead of bridge. This could be something that was typed on on a phone <laughs> and auto-corrected. So there you go. Message goes like this. 
Drunk Shimoda Log, Stardate 722.4. Congratulations to Blonde and Marbles on their wedding. <laughs> this P1 is being typed from the Hasher and Friends of Destoro Drunk Shimoda table. <laughs> um, we're all drinking Beverly Crushers here. Wow. Did the code 47 beat the P1? Hopefully my spelling won't be that bad. <laughs> that explains a lot, Ben. Wow. Urban Ugg Beta Z wedding trial at midnight. On! On! Rah! <laughs> wow. I love I love a P1 message sent from a wedding. Yeah. That's as as it's as its table is getting drunk. Well played. It's a drunk dial, but for text. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, give us more of those. Yeah. I love that. Oh, man, uh, that uh, that commercial P1, uh, if you search for the Speedy Arrow podcast, you won't find it, but the Speedy Arrow cast, you will find it. And it looks oh, like okay. they're on uh, our friends uh, at the Incomparable Network. Oh, nice. Their show, yeah. Good job. Great shows over there. Yeah. Well, uh, if folks want to drunk dial us or uh, send us a nice a nice note like that, it's easy to do. They head to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal and 200 for a commercial. And uh, they help us uh, cover the cost of producing this show. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. 
The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Smartest one, smartest one, let the boy take over control, Shimoda! Ooh, you make the warp drive hum, warp drive hum, you gave up the ship to a child, Shimoda! Drunk Shimoda! Take important stuff, stack it up, doesn't give a fuck, everybody's drunk, and Tasha Yar's getting robot humped, Ben, 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 no! Yeah, I didn't intend to go into this much detail earlier in the show because I think I gave it away. It's O'Brien and that Odo v. Odo scene. Uh, just like wanting to get his work done while really the craziest shit is happening behind him. He couldn't be less impressed by the idea of two changelings in the room with him. Yeah. I just loved his need to get the work done. It is, uh, I love this, I love his incredulity in this moment. It, uh, <laughs> I thought it was a really great character developing moment for O'Brien. Like, I, I, I'm not sure I would have been able to guess what his reaction would have been before this. Right. But going forward, I, I definitely know how he's going to respond in, in similar <laughs> circumstances. So I'm giving it to O'Brien. What about you? He's a real grizzled warrior veteran, you know? Yeah. It's all about his work. Uh, I'm giving it to Bashir, and specifically the Bashir that got locked in that room and uh, managed to blow the door open in a in a hail of sparks, like right at the moment that other Bashir was <laughs> right outside the door. Yeah, great funny timing, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know I just love that that uh, that s- signature Bashir sense of comedic timing. <laughs> yeah, well played. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The beginning of season four. Next episode is season four, episode one, The Way of the Warrior. When the Klingon Empire ends its peace treaty with the Federation, Cisco must help Klingon Starfleet officer Worf decide where his loyalties lie. We are now officially at the point of the show that I have not seen any of. Wow. Like, I I never saw Deep Space Nine where Worf was on it. Damn. So I'm. Um, I mean, this is this is a turning point for the show, right? This is Worf is Riker's beard here. Yeah. According to a lot of people. I'm wondering. So I'm looking at the runtime for this episode, Adam. It's a. Uh, it's got an hour and thirty three minute runtime. So it was a double ep, and uh, I, as as far as I could tell, it was aired in, in that way. Hmm. Do, do we do we make a double app for our show about it? Yeah, I think we do. Let's okay. do it. Let's pack it in. It's a big one. So next week is a big, big app. Great. Gotta I'm find in. out in what way we will be doing that big, big app, though, don't we? Yeah, we really do. All right, I'm clicking over to our uh, our beloved board game. Right now, we are sitting on square. 70. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. We've got a Quirks bar that's hittable. That's the only uh, that's the only square of any particular type uh, that's currently in range. I am rooting against that outcome, Ben. <laughs> Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Wow, we skipped right over Quirks bar. We are on square 73 because I have right. rolled a three. All right. Yeah. We're getting near the top of this board, Ben. I know. Very close to hitting that Mornhammered. Yeah. 
All right, buddy. Well, that'll be next week. Uh, looking forward to it. Do we have anybody we need to thank? So many people make this show possible, Ben. I think I think you probably need to start with uh, with the music of the show, expertly made by Dark Materia and Adam Ragusia. Yeah. I'm going to thank all, uh, all the folks that uh, leave nice reviews on Apple Podcasts and also the folks that go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and support the show. Uh, we feel really lucky to have gotten as much amazing support out of our listeners as we have so far and uh we really appreciate people that do that yeah you guys make it happen so thank you so much we got to thank our card daddy bill tilly who makes amazing trading cards for each and every episode of the show he goes on uh twitter puts the hashtag greatest gen on those uh also our buddy jj lendl who has been making great portfolio prints of uh, every episode of Deep Space Nine. Really gorgeous artwork. A uh, lot of awesome fan art on the uh, on the Greatest Gen hashtag. Pretty amazing how that works week in and week out. Yeah. Can't believe it. Tons and tons of fun to be had. Uh, there's also Facebook groups and a Reddit sub and uh, all kinds of other online fora to, uh, to talk to friends of DeSoto. If you're confused by what's happened here, you can go to the Greatest Gen Wikia page. Uh, they go into great amounts of detail on just about every joke that we <laughs> we do on this show. If you write to us at drunkshimoda at gmail.com, just know that we read every message that we get there. Uh, unable to respond to every single one of them, though. Yeah, but, uh, but we appreciate it. Yeah, sure do. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and another episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It introduces a new old character. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.